Amen. We will turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue working through this letter written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have those notes there in front of you, you can also follow along there and um, kind of see some, some references there. I wanted to give a couple of thoughts uh, just by way of context, right? We always want to read the context, know what's going on, and I think we did that in chapter 1. We talked about Paul coming to the city, staying for three consecutive Sabbath days, preaching the Word, and that's from Acts 17. And as he does that, some people are saved, um, a group of people come to Christ, but immediately, right, they are persecuted, immediately um, and people that are against Christ begin to basically attack them and, and, and persecute them. And so the believers at that time thought, we better right now get Paul out of here at this current time. And so that's what happened in, this, in Acts 17. And so now Paul writes to them. And by way of reminder, though, I want to give us a few thoughts related to Paul and his suffering. And see, it wasn't very regular for Paul to go into a city, preach the gospel, hang out without any problem, Right? If you read his letters, he often went in and preached the gospel, and, or if you read Acts, you'll see it wasn't always easy. And so a couple of thoughts here that I think we know these things, but to lay this foundation, we know that Paul caused great suffering for those who followed Christ. Now that's in the first part of Acts, right? Before he was converted, before he became a Christian, in Acts chapter 8 and chapter 9, we see him persecuting Christians even there at the stoning of Stephen, right? So we know that he caused great suffering on them. And he even said it in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, I am the least of all the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So we know that Paul, this man that we, we talk about a lot in church, before he came to Christ, he was uh, causing great suffering on the church. But we also know that once he came to Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 11, and according to pretty much all his letters, we know once he came to Christ, the same suffering he was putting on the church, he began to experience himself. So listen to 2 Corinthians 11, I'll just read it to you. But he says that he, he suffered greatly. He says, imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. This is 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me from the anxiety for all the churches for which he had planted and served so here's what i want us to see paul experienced more persecution i would imagine than all of us probably put together right by reading second corinthians 11 and in the face of much tribulation and trial and suffering we can say this paul was bold he was bold in it. That's really what we're going to see in our text today. He was bold in the face of persecution, and he was bold because he knew 
he had a greater calling, a calling worth the suffering he would face. He had a calling worth any suffering he might face. So let's, let's read about it in 1 Thessalonians 2. As we read what he says to the church, think about how he might have been being attacked by people in that city. Here we go. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before, and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not in deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse or a mother cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. For we, you, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. That you should walk worthy of God who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. As I studied through this passage, uh, this week especially, um, I found some characteristics that describe Paul's ministry. And I want to give you seven, I believe seven of those there in your notes. Number one, and I said it in our introduction, but Paul, in his ministry, was very bold. He was bold. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again as, as you think about this. He says, you know, church, you know, Thessalonians, when I came to you, when we came to you to minister, it was not in vain. It was for a purpose. It was for a plan. God had a plan for us to come to you and a purpose, a saving purpose, right? That the gospel might be preached, that the believers might believe, that the lost sheep might believe, and that the church might be established there. So it was not in vain. It was for a reason, for a purpose. Verse 2, he says, you know we had already been persecuted. See, in Philippi, and, and Brother Dale read this for us this morning in Acts 16, which is the same region, by the way, as Thess Thessalonica. They're both in Macedonia. And so he, he's there with Silas, right? They're preaching preaching, and, and serving and ministering. And remember, they, they were beaten and put in prison, right? Put in jail. And we heard the story. They begin to sing hymns to God, and God miraculously rescues them from prison, right? And as he does that, the jailer is like, what's going on here? And what do they tell the jailer? What does the jailer ask them? What must I do to be saved? How can I know this God that you know? And what did they say? Believe 
and you'll be saved. And so what I want us to see here, though, is that God had miraculously delivered them, right? Just previously, God had miraculously delivered them from beatings and imprisonments. So you might would think they might say, you know, God delivered us, but maybe we should take it easy for a while. Maybe we should kind of do something different, right? Because this didn't feel good. This was painful. This was hurtful. The next time they beat us, they might beat us to death. We don't know. The next time we go to prison, God may not deliver us out of prison. We don't know. And yet, in verse 2, he says, Though we were shamefully treated at Philippi, we were bold in our God to come here to Thessalonica and speak to you the gospel. And then he adds another phrase, with much contention. Like, that persecution that we just experienced, Paul says, did not stop us one bit. As a matter of fact, as I read through some of Paul's writings, I feel like the persecution, as terrible as it was, might have even fueled him to keep going. Because we know the scripture says things like, all those who desire to follow Christ will be persecuted. So he keeps going in the face of danger, and again, he knows that his calling, he knows that Christ and the mission that he, he had, the, the assignment Christ had given him was much more important than any suffering he might experience. And again, as Paul followed Christ through suffering, and as we do the same, it's not really just Paul's example we're following, is it? It's, it's Christ. It's Christ's example. We see that in Scripture as well. Let me mention here, Thessalonica was an ungodly city. They worshipped all kind of false gods. And so as soon as he arrived, he experienced conflict. As he preached the gospel, he experienced conflict. And then, of course, he moved out of the city. In all this, we see in verses 1 and 2, he was bold. Number two, a second characteristic of Paul's ministry is he was trustworthy. He was trustworthy. Look with me at verse 3. He says, our exhortation, our, our preaching to you was not of deceit or uncleanness or guile. Now, here's what I think was going on and why he wrote this in the letter. I think once Paul left the church, the people who were against the gospel, against Christ, I believe they went to the believers and said, you can't trust this guy. He was only here for a month, three weeks. He's only here for a short time, and then he got out of town. He didn't even stay and hang out. He didn't stay to try to help you. You cannot trust this traveling preacher who came through for a short amount of time. I believe that's probably what people were saying, and probably worse things than that, based on what we read here. And so Paul writes and says, you know, verse 3, you know our exhortation to you was not from error. It was not impure. And we were not trying to deceive you. He says in this text, we came to preach to you the true gospel. So back at chapter 1, verse 5, we talked about this, I think, last week or the week before. He talks about how they're trustworthy in verse 5. The, the middle part of chapter 1, verse 5, In much assurance, and you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Remember Paul said, church, don't believe, don't believe the lies that these people are sharing here in Thessalonica. You know what kind of person we were. You know we were trustworthy. You know we were honest. You know all these things about us. So he gives these, he gives these 
rebuttals to what people might have been saying about him really in this entire entire text as a part of him being trustworthy let me show you a few thoughts here i don't know if i have these in your notes or not but notice he is here's some things people might have said here's some things critics might have said they might have said verse two he's untrustworthy they might have said in verse three he is delusional you can't believe that guy he's crazy they might have said, you know what, his motives are impure. In verse 3, he says no. Verse 4, or number 4, they might have said, you know what, he's just trying to deceive you people. And in verse 3, Paul says, I didn't come here to preach for deceit. In verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 4, they might have said, he's just trying to please me and he's trying to gain your approval. And in verse 4, Paul says, no, that's not what we're doing. Maybe, maybe they say, Look, he came through for three weeks and passed the offering plate around. He's just in it for material gain. In verses 5 and verse 9, Paul makes clear that was not his goal. They might have said, hey, he just wants to be famous. He wants to get his name out there as a traveling preacher. That people will just say, hey, this Paul's a great guy. And in verse 6, he says, we're not in it for glory. Some might have even said, this, you can't listen to this Paul. He's, he's trying to just be a dictator of some religion. And in verse 7, he makes it clear that he was there as a person who loved them and cared for them and nourished them. So you can see, if you read closely here, how he was answering these critics. And the main point of that answer to me is this. When he says, we, the ministers here, Paul, Silas, Timothy, we are being trustworthy as we minister to you. Number three, I love, I love verse four here. He says he was approved by God. That's number three. He was approved by God. Now, I think Paul knew it wasn't just about him. It wasn't like, I've got to really clear my name here. I think he knew this. If they discredited, if the, if the false believers or the people against the church, if they discredited Paul, then they could discredit the gospel, right? If they could discredit the man of God, then they could discredit the message from the man of God. And so Paul doesn't, I don't think he says this to say, I'm amazing, but he says this to say, we have been approved by God and entrusted with the gospel. So here's a question, church. How do we know if someone has been approved by God? How do we know if someone has been entrusted with the gospel? Well, 1 Timothy tells us, chapter 3 tells us, that if anyone desires the office of elder, um, the, the part of that is that desire. It's the first thing it says. He had a, a desire to be that. So there is a desire in someone to be a a minister, a pastor, there is also confirmation by the church as the church hears that preaching and, and confirms them and, and sees their life and confirms them. And Paul says, we have been approved. Paul, had, they had been sent out. They didn't just go out on their own. They knew Christ, and they had been sent out by the church and supported by the church to do the ministry of Christ. And because of that, he says in verse 4, we speak not to please men, but God which tried our hearts. I put here my notes. What Nick always says. That's what my note says. What Nick always says. When he says the, the pastors, the elders, they'll have to answer to God for things they say and do and lead. And that's what Nick says. But also Paul says it. When he says, we're not here to please man, but please God who tries our hearts. Verse 5, he says, we didn't come with words of flattery, 
or pretext for greed. There were so many, I read some of this this week, there's so many false gods, Greek gods being worshipped in, in this city at this time. And, and the, the people that were uh, proponents of these false gods would be very eloquent speakers. They would be trained to speak eloquently and have great stories and get people, very convincing to get people to want to follow their false gods. So these people are saying, Paul is just like those other preachers, those other people. He's just speaking with flattering words, trying to get you to follow his God. And Paul says, no, it's not flattering words. It's, it's we care about you, right? We care about you. And so when I, when I, when I apply verse 4 to us, I say this, we, we seek to always share the gospel in truth, right? We don't ever want to water down the gospel. We don't ever want to say Jesus is something that the scripture says he's not. We don't really want to tell, we don't want to tell people, right, that, hey, there are, there are seven ways to heaven, pick one. We would never say that, right? There's one way, right? We would never say Jesus was fully man, but he was not fully God. Would we say that, church? No. He is both. We would never say Jesus died on the cross, but, but he didn't rise from the grave. Would we say that? Of course not. He died, he was buried, and he rose. So we want to make sure we're not trying to flatter or please men by watering down the gospel in any way, and I know we don't do that here, and I pray we never do, because we don't do it to please men. We, do our, we preach the gospel to please God. Number four. He was, Paul was, I have a few words here, so I'm going to go with this one. He was genuine. He was genuine. Honest, truthful. Verse 6, he says, I, don't, I didn't seek glory for myself, from you or others. He says, this is interesting, he says, I, I, I didn't try to come get rich, I didn't try to come get famous. Though I might, could have done those things. He, he says, as the apostle, this is verse 6, as the apostle, right, of Christ, the servant of God, I could have been burdensome. I could have said, hey, I need this, 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 and this. I need to come into Thessalonica, and I need y'all to put me in the best hotel they got. By the way, I've heard of preachers saying that. Back many years ago, I heard preachers saying, like preachers that would do revivals, I've heard a preacher saying, you know, they tried to put me in a Motel 6, and I said, no, better be the, better be the uh, Hilton or I'm not coming. Wow, that's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty crazy. But Paul could have said, put me in the best hotel, give me the best meals, pay me double what you paid the last guy, whatever. He could have said all these things, but he repeats in verse 6, and again mentions this in verse 10, that they behaved in a way that was genuine that was righteous, that was good. And he's trying to, again, he's trying to make this argument to the people who only knew him for a short amount of time that he was trustworthy by saying, I was genuine in all I did among you. Paul could have been, see if y'all agree with this, I think Paul possibly could have been one of the greatest prosperity preachers of all time if he'd have wanted to, right? But he didn't do, didn't do that, did he? Because he knew what the right, the right he knew the right thing. He didn't seek self glory. He went in and said, "You need to repent of your sin and turn to Christ." Number five. Though he was honest and truthful with his word and with his life, he was also very caring for the people. Verse seven, 
He says, we came among you and we were like a mother nursing a child. We were gentle. Gentle. And by the way, the word gentle doesn't mean you're a pushover, right? But it just means you care about people and you, you want to help people. And uh, as I, even as I thought about this, this, these verses, verse 7, I thought about all the new mothers in our church, you know, just watching them hold their children and, and just love on those new babies. Paul says, I didn't know you long, but, but I care for you that way. I care for you like that. I want you to grow in Christ and be fed in the Word and know God more. He's pointing here to a gentle, loving character he has for them. So the point is, don't church, he's saying, church, don't listen to all these attacks. Don't listen to all these faults that things are saying about me because you know how I am. You've heard me and you've, you saw me live my life. Verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you. Again, loving, caring. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were very near and dear to us. Paul says we didn't just share the word from our mouth, but we shared our lives and with you in a short amount of time, but we shared ourselves with you. We wanted to know you. We wanted you to know us. And as, as I read verse 8 this week and kind of meditated a little on verse 8, uh, I put in my notes, in Christ, Paul and the Thessalonians had a great commonality, right? A common denominator. In many ways, I'm sure they had some differences. But in the main way, once they came to Christ, they had a great commonality. And I thought about how uh, there's been times in my life where I've gone on trips here or there and I can meet somebody and find out they're a Christian, maybe even another pastor. And I've had some guys like that that I befriended years ago. I've never seen them since in person, but we're Facebook friends or whatever. And, and every once in a while we can message each other and see how it's going. And we really, you would think we have nothing in common, but what we have in common is we're both we're Christians. And so we do have something in common. I would argue this, that there is a person right now in, pick a country, I'll say Mexico. There is a Christian in Mexico who, when it comes down to the main thing, I have more in common with him than I do with some people in my very own family if they don't know Christ. See what I'm saying? Obviously, they're my family, I love them, but if they don't know Christ, I have more in common with someone who knows Christ than I do with someone who does not. As, and when I say more in common, I mean the most important thing, right? Our family tree is important to all of us. Christ is more important. Our education, our social status, our financial status, race, gender, nationality, all those things can be important to us, but Christ is more important than all those things. And so he says, you've become dear to us, the common denominator between us and you, he says in verse 8, it's, it's the gospel. It's Christ. That leads me to number 6. He was invested. We know he was. He was Paul. He was doing the ministry God called him to do. He was invested in all the churches. If you go back and read all the letters, you'll see similar things here. But in verses 9 and 10, to me it jumps out that he, he was invested in them. He says, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, we labored day and night. We didn't want to be chargeable unto you. We didn't want 
you to have to, we didn't want to be a burden to you, basically, and you'd have to take care of us, if you will. We wanted to pull our own slack, I guess you could say. So while we were preaching the gospel of God, we were doing what we needed to do. We, we, we had what we needed to get by, and we didn't want to be a burden to you. Verse 10, you're our witnesses. God also, how holy and justly and unblamely we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Do you see these arguments just stacking up? He's like, don't listen to anything false. Here's the truth about us. Here's the truth about the gospel. He was invested in this church. And we're going to see that as we continue to read the rest of this letter and the next one. So invested in these people. Number seven. Finally, he was edifying to the church. Verse 11. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. So in verse 7 he says we were like a mother in our love and care for you. And in verse 11 and 12 he says like a father we would give you the exhortation you needed to hear. Right? We would give you the encouragement you needed to hear. We would charge you and challenge you like a father would his son. All this to say, as I talk about his being his edifying, all this to say, Paul and his team, their conduct was righteous. Through Christ, of course. Paul and his team did not just talk a talk, but they walked a walk. And though their walk was attacked by the unbelievers, we see through multiple texts, that their walk was confirmed by the church. Now, if the unbelievers did the same thing and then the church had the same thoughts as unbelievers, then, you know, there might have been a talk there. But the church confirmed them. and There were some issues, we know, in the churches, but for the most part, the church confirmed them and sent them out. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much conflict. So as a father toward his son, Paul says, we know, we know, Paul said to them, we know, I know it's hard, keep going. I know it's tough, keep going. I know you are the minority in the city of ungodliness, but keep going. He repeated these same phrases, by the way, over in Philippians 3.17 and 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And so he Loves them, exhorts them, and he challenges them to do what? Well, look at verse 12. He challenges them to walk in a manner worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. I'm going to give you two points of application, and I'll talk about verse 12. But two points of application, and we'll have the message. The first one is for us, based on this passage, we need to declare the gospel. I get that from verse 4, when Paul says that he has been entrusted with it, put in trust, entrusted with the gospel. And we know that he went and preached it. And as believers now, it's our job. And I'm going to give you some layers here. Number one, to remind ourselves of the gospel every day. Preach the gospel to ourselves. Remind yourself, when you wake up tomorrow morning, I'm so thankful that Christ died in my place. 
We could remind ourselves of that every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. When you're thinking about suffering you're going through, when you're thinking about the suffering of your loved ones, when you're thinking about struggles, remind yourself of the gospel. The gospel is not only for lost people to think about to be saved. No, it's for us to think about and worship, be thankful for what Christ has done. It is motivation. It is fuel for us to go forward in our Christian life when we think, Jesus died in my place. Now, something else that jumped out to me as I think about declaring the gospel. Look quickly with me in chapter 2. Look at verse 8 when he says the phrase, gospel of God. Do you see it in verse 8? Gospel of God. I'm sorry, in verse 2 it's there. Then in verse 8 it's there. Gospel of God. And then in verse 9, gospel of God. Now, if you go back and read through Paul's letters, he'll call sometimes the gospel the gospel of Christ. Also, he calls it my gospel. He'll say, like in Romans 2.16, In that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Christ according to my gospel. And so when Paul says my gospel, to me that's just him taking ownership of it and saying, it's the gospel I've, I've devoted, devoted my life to. It's my gospel. But he's not taking away from God. Is he? He's not taking away from Christ. And that's why other times, like in this text, three times in our text, he says, it is the gospel of God. And if I had to describe what that means, here's what I would say. It starts and ends with God, right? The good news starts and ends with God. God gave his son to save sinners through faith, right? It starts and ends with him. And so we declare the gospel not only to ourselves, but in our homes, in our church, and in our lives because the gospel not only helps us as Christians keep going, but the gospel is the power of God for salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And Romans 1.16 famously says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation. So we preach, we declare the gospel of God, that it starts and ends with Him. And if someone is to be saved, they must look to Christ. They must look to God. What does it mean to be assigned the gospel or entrusted, put in trust with it? Well, it means that you're given that responsibility. And once we became believers we are given the responsibility to not be reservoirs of the gospel, right, but rivers, not to be cul-de-sacs, but to be freeways, not to be hoarders of the gospel message, but sharers of the gospel message. That's for all of us, right? All of us who are believers are entrusted to preach the gospel. Now, we've said it before, if God wanted to, he could bring and he will bring his people to himself in any way he chooses. But the way God has chosen, the means by which God brings his people to himself is through Christians. It is through the church. Someone said the church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. He uses us to declare the gospel and we have been entrusted to declare a God-planned, God-centered, God-accomplished, and God-applied message, the gospel of God. I hope today we'll think about all of us how to take, number one, more seriously, that I might declare the gospel in my life. And the second and final thing is to display the gospel. Because in verse 12 he says, walk worthy of God. Now I don't know about you, 
but I don't feel like I ever do this. Do you ever feel like, you know what, today I really walked worthy of God? I never feel that way. I could preach the best sermon I've ever preached or spend an hour in prayer or whatever. At the end of the day, I look back and go, ooh, that was rough. <laughs> but he says, there is a way in which, as we strive to know God through faith, love, and obedience, we can walk in a manner worthy of him. And we're, we know we're only worthy because of Christ at all, right? But we walk in a manner worthy of him who's called us, God, into his kingdom and his glory. As I think about this, a couple notes is just, to walk worthy of him means that our actions should match our words, right? That our inward convictions should come out in our outward uh, expressions of life. It means that we live up to the calling of Christ. Not that we're perfect, but that we do seek to honor God in our daily lives. Some other thoughts here, and these come from Colossians 1, kind of making some references, but to, to walk worthy of Christ means that we're fruitful. We're trying to be fruitful for Christ. We're increasing in the knowledge of God. We're seeking to know Him more. We are joyfully enduring and patiently persevering through struggle. Joyfully enduring and patiently persevering through struggle. And number four, to walk worthy of Him is to give thanks to Him on a regular basis. Always giving thanks to God. So if we're going to walk in a worthy, uh, walk in a manner worthy of God, we're going to have to do it in a couple of ways here. Here's how. Follow Jesus, that should be, I'm sorry, in faith, love, and obedience. Follow Jesus in faith, love, and obedience, which, by the way, is my, my definition of discipleship. To follow Jesus in faith, love, and obedience. Trusting, loving, and obeying. And then how do we do that? And we say it all the time. We must not neglect getting into the Word until the Word gets into us. We must not neglect time of prayer with God. And we must not neglect the encouragement and the fellowship of the church. We need so desperately. Paul was, all these things we mentioned this morning and more, as a man called of God to serve God. And he says to the church, church, you can trust the gospel I've given you. But church, and again, they're a young church, right? He says, we need, you, you need church to get past these people that are picking at you here, and you need to get on to the most important things. Declaring the gospel of God and displaying the gospel of God in your life. And we're going to see that more in the rest of this book as well. Let's pray.